All right, everybody, welcome back to That Which Is Hidden. I'm Austin. And I'm Winston. And today we're joined by our good friend Andrew Riley. Hey, everybody. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, today we're going to be talking about the concept of initiation. Looking at the concept of initiation in the magical tradition, I think this goes back to in the old days when a shaman was sort of the prescribed person in a community to have spiritual interface with the gods or the other worlds. Oftentimes they were selected for that because they had gone through like a a serious illness or had a serious injury that almost killed them. And they basically had to learn how to heal themselves. And the idea was that because they had this near-death experience and had opened this gate into the other world and almost gone all the way through, that then when they came back to this world, they had this magical ability to heal others the way that they had healed themselves. And so I think if you look at all of these sort of initiatory rituals in magical groups throughout history they're sort of trying to get back to that point of making you feel like you are dying having this near-death experience and then this rebirth it's you're reborn when we you know you you see that term even in like um modern like evangelical christianity they talk about being reborn in the spirit but this is a very old idea and it's connected with um the sort of archetypal myth of the hero's journey where you journey to the underworld or, you know, go through these trials and tribulations, almost die and come back to the world of humans with this magical gift. You've been uh, given a boon by the higher powers. So all of these different groups have their ideas of initiation, right? That you are being brought into this magical lineage. Some teaching is passed down directly from teacher to student. But I'm looking at it in the broader sense that the universe does this to you once you're on the magical path. You don't have to have a teacher. You you will experience initiatory moments in your life. Accidentally. Where, exactly, yeah. Um, synchronicity so to well. you. The self-initiation is the most important initiation anybody can have. Uh, as somebody who's been initiated by other people, it pales in comparison to the the power of the self-initiation, which means that I to say that you're a self-starter right. is to say that you're a self-initiate. Right. And to get your own magical work started. Uh, to get your work um, past the point of initiation and into work. Right. I'll give an example. One of my um, most powerful initiatory experiences uh, into the magical path, I was probably about 18, maybe 19 at the time, and I was living uh, at my friend's house, and... I took mushrooms in like the middle of the night. It was pretty late. And I walked to this park over by his house. And I remember I heard this trickle of water. There's like a stream going through the park. And I heard this trickle of water. And I realized that it was trying to tell me something. It was speaking to me very clearly. And I like stripped off my clothes. I got naked in the middle of this park at like two in the morning. Uh, in this nice little neighborhood in Virginia Highlands in Atlanta. Orm Park. And yeah, in Orm Park. <laughs> yeah, you already know. And uh and, and I got down I, I, I stripped down naked and I got in the mud and I listened to this water trickling and I closed my eyes and I literally felt like the spirit of the earth was showing me and telling me. It, I was seeing specific images of humans like hurting the planet 
all the things that humans had done wrong to the earth and how we were supposed to be living in harmony with nature, but that we had become separated from that. It was, it was like a voice was speaking into my ear and showing me these, these designs very clearly in my mind's eye. Like I, it was not something that I could have made up. It was very clearly, I was being given this knowledge, um, because I had taken these mushrooms and said, okay, I'm going to start on this path, on this magical path. And I've had similar experiences since then, but that one has always stuck with me and that I was so young and it was so clear and vivid that I was being given this information by this higher power. In some forms of Buddhism, mostly Mahayana, they call that experience the experience of the Pratyake Buddha, the voice hearer. Mm. The one who hears the voice of suffering and then is dedicated to his his mission, or their mission. To ending suffering? Yeah. Yeah, to liberation. And to swearing the oath of the latter-day Buddha, which is that until all beings attain enlightenment, I will not. Right. So let's go back to the concept of initiation uh, in the shamanic tradition. Again, we've talked a little bit about um, there's the different worlds that the shaman traverses through. Uh, we live in like the middle world. There's the lower world, the underworld where the animal powers live. These are like the chthonic forces, um, our ancestors, you know, these deep, powerful animal spirits. Um, and that's become associated with like death and darkness. And um, in Christian theology, you know, this is the origin of the idea of hell. Um, darkness to mean uh, the an- antithesis of the light, not to mean uh, geopolitical evil, you mm-hmm. know, because there's an easy misconception between what the light and the dark represent within these different uh, right. uh, cultural lenses. That's a, that's a big thing that I want to get across is that when we talk about light and dark and yin and yang, darkness is not evil. Darkness is the, the mother. Of fundamental darkness? That life itself is built out of it. And that we are beings, we're blueprints of light over matter. Matter itself is dark. Therefore, we are the light among the dark matter. So, what I'm saying is that um, fundamental darkness is an essential concept in hermeticism, especially because they say, as hard as you try to get away from your own fundamental darkness, you never will. So you can't get over your own fundamental darkness. It's your it's like your forever friend. Well, because we we've we've talked about the idea that the darkness is where everything comes from. Like that is that's our our mother. You know, the you talked about your experience uh, on DMT of going back to the Big Bang and that moment before the Big Bang when all was darkness and void and then the let there be light, everything explodes. Um, into all the myriad things, but ultimately, we come out of the void. You know, I, I think about that, and I don't remember what happened between my journey into the bang and out of the bang. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any of the stuff that happened when I went into it, but I do get the sensation that there was more, like, inside of it that I experienced, like a little bubble, almost. Yeah, you don't want to go there, man. Those people are, are scary. Uh, <laughs> Andrew's got to... Yeah. Yo, I swear, you don't want to meet the gatekeeper. That guy's really scary. We, we've ta- we talked about <laughs> the, the entities, gatekeeper in dude. the last episode. We I talked know. about the archons. Um, I, I the... listened. I was thinking, holy shit, this yeah. is the guy I met. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so... not... That's... Yeah. That, okay. You don't want to meet that guy, honestly. No, Everyone's he's... like, oh, wouldn't it be great to go and do that? Quite honestly... From someone who like accidentally did it do not try to seek what is discussed do not idly seek because you're, well it'll you're, it'll come to you right i think on the magical path you have to confront the gatekeeper you have to confront these like terrifying forces that don't always feel like they're there to help you they this is the the idea of the trickster gods confronting the force of your own power it's always you looking back at yourself even the void is your void Mm -hmm. 
No, when you're in the, the void, abyss. you're not. When you're in the void, you're not in your void anymore. That's the scary part about it. Is uh, you were uh, you're an edge from uh, separation with uh, the reality, and mm-hmm. that's uh, it's a very scary moment. Um, and if just, you're able to pull yourself out of it, which a lot of people can't, you know, and then they they perish. Well, you know? every time I've used a psychedelic, I've come back feeling that I lost a little piece. Well, no, that's the point of the initiation is that you were able to survive the uh, the life death experience. I also feel like you do have to sacrifice something. You give a little puzzle initiation. piece every time. Yeah, it it takes a little bit out of you because you're putting a, a, a foot closer in that world so again talking about the the different worlds that we traverse um we've talked a little bit about the underworld there's also the heavens you know if you climb up the ladder up the the top of the tree uh up the mountain you go to the heavens the the realm of the celestial beings the gods and in magical traditions i think there's this idea that you have to go both places. You have to descend into the underworld, ascend unto the heavens, and then come back to this world with some sort of truth that you've learned from that. Is that not Hermes' journey, the hermetic path? Right. I mean, and you see this reflected in all sorts of traditions. In Christianity, uh, Jesus descends to hell, takes hell captive, ascends to heaven. Yeah. Rock and roll Jesus going down there with the sick fucking metal riffs and all them preaching <laughs> tunes. He probably rocked their world, man. Yeah. Jesus was a, a shaman. He's a they wizard. They never talk about him playing playing the guitar or the lyre. I don't think the guitar know. was around back then. No, but no, it was. He, yeah, it was. The lyre. The lyre. He, right. The, the, the Pythagorean school invented the uh, rock and roll music, man. I, I think that Shit. Jesus would have been <laughs> the first jam session. <laughs> he would have been a great songwriter. Well, sympathetic jam, note, jams dude. for Jesus. Hell I, yeah. I, I got a little soft spot, soft spot in my heart for uh, for the the J. The JC. J man is good. Well, the really yeah. the really great thing about the Jesus uh, story, um, and uh, I don't mean to, I don't mean as a story. I mean as. Uh, is something to analyze as a geopolitical right, right. Uh, uh it's not you know i don't want to call it a work of fiction but we're i'm going to reference it as a story because i it's take a, all of these it's myth. a myth it's right. a myth exactly yeah. myths myths are uh stories that tell the truth right an they're, extra they're truth. lies that point to the truth as an extra truth maybe not in the history but as an existential metaphysical yes. truth yes the thing that speaks out to me about the jesus uh story is the fact that it is a common person this carpenter or son of a carpenter mm-hmm. or and and this person is able to tap into the metaphysical energy just like anyone else could have in the oppressed roman provinces right and he tells everybody he says I'm the son of God. You are all children of God. He's saying that everybody is capable of realizing these truths. Sort of like Buddha. I feel like Jesus was sort of a, a Jewish Buddhist in a way. That he was like pointing people on this path of illumination and saying, be like me. Do like I do. Well, let's like, not forget that other people probably said that he told people he was a son of God. And mm-hmm. that it's important to take these stories with a grain of salt and to recognize instances in which people can put words into the story to create a geopolitical validity to it outside of the metaphysical component. Mm. And so with the Jesus story, I don't think that if this guy did indeed exist, uh, that this person was going around proclaiming themselves to be the son of God. They were proclaiming their message, which right. is the universal message, right. the message that people today proclaim as common people. But because of the geopolitical and politicization of the story that mm-hmm. is why it is remembered but it's important to never forget that it is an ordinary person that was able to tap into this energy and right. that it's important for us to communicate that these concepts and these rituals and initiations these are not principles for the elite or for a learned class these are things that are inherent in people right. and that through different civilizations we have tried to communicate uh that broader impact yeah and i think looking at modern christianity you know we've talked a little bit about the hypocrisy of it that they're 
basically using this message of universal love and self-sacrifice and, uh, you know, healing the sick, uh, feeding the hungry, and they've twisted it and turned it into this oppressive, like, you know, I'm saved and you're not, you're going to hell, fuck you guys, like, Jesus (laughs) wants me to own an AR-15 and vote for Trump. Be it Jesus (laughs) or any other character, it reminds me of Ovid's Metamorphoses and the the justification that they had for roman uh roman ideologies basically the whole thing is a justification for the roman rule so this story of ovid is entirely just a cultural myth i won't go ahead and challenge christianity itself by saying that jesus was a cultural myth but i'll just go ahead and throw the golden apple of of uncertainty in there to say mm-hmm. like we are part of a society that's funded on christianity and we look up to it with the same almost hellenistic tendency that that uh our predecessors did well Both and did. this is why i think the devil is such a powerful symbol for so many people because it's rebellion against the church i don't see the devil as working against god I think in the in the even the Judeo-Christian mythos, uh, you know, Lucifer is one of the highest angels. He he is like the first angel in some traditions. Um, he is like God's favorite, but he decides like, oh, I have some ideas for humanity. You know, I I feel like we should. He, he's sort of a Promethean figure that he in the the Garden of Eden. You know, the serpent like tempts. Adam and Eve to eat the apple and to see like the gods do, like God does. Um, He's sort of a teacher figure for humanity and saying like, you can transcend your animal nature and have these abstract ideas of reason and logic. Um, And I think that's where this split sort of comes in, where humans feel separated from the rest of nature because we've we, we feel like we've fallen in grace in some way and um, that we're not able to tap into the same like natural forces that animals seem to just sort of operate by and are, are tapped into naturally. We feel cut off from this. We feel cut off from God in a way. Well, that's part of the Western-centric worldview in general mm-hmm. uh, where uh, people are born with original sin which means that they're reliant and dependent on forgiveness it's a catholic thing which permeates through western civilization Mm -hmm. where the common people are indeed um forever repentant for the sins of their ancestors Mm -hmm. you know it's uh it's a very uh it's a catholic concept Mm -hmm. um which was used to pacify the populace and much of the um the Christianity we experience today is kind of the bastard offspring of this Justinian Eastern Roman Empire Christianity where Justinian was the Christ figure, hmm. the the emperor of Eastern Rome, which if you don't know much about the history of, uh, of the Roman Empire after it split into East and West, uh, the Eastern Roman Empire was uh the capital was uh in uh byzantium which became istanbul mm-hmm. after the turkish conquest etc and so you have eastern orthodox christianity and then western uh, or roman catholic christianity right. and as uh rome was conquered and overtaken by barbarian invasion uh the western roman christianity became a, a pagan hybrid of what at its root was a uh thoth inspired egyptian cult like a mystery mystery cult uh with the christ figure you know the roman catholic christ figure as uh as the savior but eastern Mm -hmm. roman christianity is different in that justinian was viewed as that christ figure the emperor Mm -hmm. and so it is the synthesis of um state power with that of uh the story which Mm -hmm. is the christ story Right. Um, and it takes a special uh, appreciation for the eliteness of like the mystery cult, which is what I oppose. I think that, you know, this is for everybody. 
in that. Right. And, and so that's where the conflict comes into play between, yeah, between like the light and the dark, how you personify the light and the dark. And, and and you're saying that's where the, the roots of this idea of Christians being like, we are saved and you're not saved. It, that, that sort of elite spiritual elitism. Well, you right, say that the mystery from. is for everybody. I say that the mystery is for everybody who can understand. Well, that's going well, back to... Well, you can ever understand because of the initiation we were talking right, about. That... Because initiations are for everybody. Right. So that, that's what... I want, I want to go back to that. You're talking about that idea we mentioned of the shaman is the one in the tribe who uh, has to deal with this. Because the fact is a lot of people don't want to deal with it. A lot of people just want to be bakers and shopkeepers and... Um, but Jesus lawyers was the son or of whatever. a carpenter. You know, like a lot, a lot of people don't want to have to deal with the spirit world yeah, on an everyday basis. They can basis. find the spirit world in what they're doing. The baker can find the alchemy in the dough. Of course, and of course. Like the banker can find the alchemy in the numbers. But but we're saying that there is uh, often certain people feel called and sometimes even feel chosen. Like they have this near death experience and they come back and they start having visions and they start having these experiences um, that they feel like they're supposed to be healing the community in some way. And I feel like in in today's society, the closest things we have to the idea of shaman, it's somewhere between psychologist, um, musician, and like sort of a, a healer, like a Reiki practitioner so these or are a actually, chiropractor. These like, are actually different. They're working on all of these different things. They're using music and language and... Um, physical manipulation do you to know a, get into these other states. Do you know what a sin eater is? Mm -mm. A sin eater was a figure in tribal communal society in the Middle Ages who would take confessions. And his, his rationale was that he ate and consumed the sins of those who confessed to him like how the shaman sucks out bad energy exactly. during a trance and then like he lives it off out. of it he loves their their drama and their darkness he thrives off of it and the witch does the same thing she lives off of all that energy well the I, so the archetype of the witch i think comes from again going back to the rebellion against the church basically before europeans started going around and conquering people and converting them to Christianity and wiping out the uh, traditional spiritual paths, they did it to themselves first. Um, Christianity wiped out the traditional paganism across Europe and... Well, it incorporated it, it, incorporated it into the dogma, and so it did right. so by... Uh, by Art. Yeah, it, it it actually took those concepts and uh, and it created a syncretism. It created yes. a dogma that opposed the parts that it didn't that didn't agree with the state, because Christianity was codified as part of the state, and so right. it's important to understand that in terms of in terms of its metaphysical roots with connecting people with the mm -hmm. higher the higher being the spirit being. Right. Uh, and then also how it was used to manipulate and control large portions of diverse people. And so in Catholicism, I think you see those pagan roots in the sense of um, <laughs> the Catholics are really big on like blood and sacrifice. You know, when I went to Italy and visited the cathedrals there, there's all this emphasis on Jesus's suffering and the, uh, the concept of the blood sacrifice. And the blood and the heart. Right. Yeah, and you have these divinity and, and the saints are sort of the pagan gods. We we've sort of touched on that briefly in the the idea of in Voden, in voodoo, uh, when uh, West African people were enslaved and taken to America, they were able to keep their tradition alive by disguising it as reverence for the Catholic saints. They associated each of the the voodoo loa with a different Catholic saint, and, and it's so the same in Peru. Yeah, it's in, they, in they Santeria, in, in all these traditions, uh, there's, and I think built into that concept of the Catholic saints is this old pagan ideal of, uh, you know, it's hard to pray to the one God um, for every little thing you need help with. It's much easier to 
ask St. Peter or St. Patrick to do something for you. In order to discuss uh, uh, pagan incorporation in the new world into uh, Roman Catholic doctrine, you have to address uh, the Reconquista in Spain and the various uh, kind of proto-Freemason Templar cults that were in, among the elite throughout Europe that were gaining steam at the time. It's very... It's they created a religion that was so pervasive and and it inter and, and it was designed so well that it intertwines with pagan roots because of the uh, hermetic origins of Christianity. That's the that's the great point to be made, um, and that's why Christianity is so easy to go and mold because its roots are in. Uh, hermetic paganism mm -hmm. when the spanish came in and they occupied south america they kind of just said like we can worship our indigenous gods through the through the gods that they provide right use exactly. the same statues they went and they cut all the heads off the statues and it was very sad to actually see that yeah let's talk about this idea of syncretism that across all of these different mythologies, across all the, the pantheons of pagan gods, you see all the same figures, right? There's a, a father god associated with the sky. There's a, a mother earth goddess associated with fertility. Um, there's a goddess of love, a god of war. There's the scribe of the gods who you talk to to talk to the other gods, you know, sort of a messenger between the worlds. You see these similar archetypes across all of these different pagan pantheons uh, from all around the world. I don't think that's a coincidence. These are archetypal forces that exist in every human, in the collective unconscious, however you want to look at that, whether they exist independently of us or not, um, these forces are universal. We consider cosmology to be a fairly natural thought to occur to to man in general, just looking out at the universe and saying, how did it all happen? Right. Um, but we differ in terms of the structure of our cosmology. Um, well, and all these, and, and looking at it, even the concept of astrology, you know, um, our sort of modern day conception of astrology, we don't even think about the fact, uh, at least in, in America, I feel like, um, the Chinese had their own system of astrology that lines up extraordinarily well with uh, Western astrology. There's a, a Vedic, like Indian astrology. Well, we're Northern that, Hemisphere. This is Northern Hemisphere astrology. We all see the same pattern. Right, in That's, the stars. Right, and, and when there's nothing to do for half the day than to look up, you're going to have people who make a, a, a profession. Mm -hmm. And so we do have these universal constants that people go in people go and take the archetypes that you mentioned, you mm -hmm. know, archetypes of living in a human society. People aren't any different than they have been forever, actually. I don't I don't think that we're really any different as like intellectual beings as the Romans were in their day or the ancient Egyptians. It's just different ways to personify the life experience and the stories. Right. And when there's only one way to look for half the day, of course you're going to put them up on the same constellations uh yeah. we, we reflect the stars and the stars reflect us it's that that same like we are made in the image of the gods the universe is reflected in our bodies in the way that we live and act and move and that's a universal truth you know mm -hmm. people are not separated from uh the the environment we're born from nature and thus uh, as it is above so it is so, below so it is below exactly the hunter the water bearer the bull the ram mm -hmm. they're all very terrestrial you know those are terrestrial experiences that people are putting out there ancient forms of art that everybody seemed to adopt it's kind of great though that somebody came up with that and said that that uh pattern of stars looks like this right and then well, and again, it's so similar all the world over. I just think that's crazy that all of these different cultures came to the same realizations. People talk so much about how, uh, I don't know, in America, like things are so divided right now. Everybody's 
sort of drawing all these lines along like uh, racial and ethnic and cultural divisions. And if we look at the world as a whole and the history of the world as a whole, people are the same all the world over. And I think these like, you know, Trump supporter, like super evangelical Christian conservatives need to realize that their tradition is out of this old pagan tradition i think people don't even like recognize that or think about like where these things came from and how they've been misused and misconstrued over the years and that shit just drives me crazy well there's a different there's a different uh force at play in that the american uh christian western ideology uh has a very definite time and place and meaning to uh most americans that subscribe by it Mm -hmm. and so that is uh and it really is a political thing i like you know more than political it's society yeah people people it's hard to explain without like telling someone to just go and watch one of these john hughes movies like the breakfast club kind of movies oh okay (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah Um, like teen you know, coming of age movies you mean or? yeah yeah that's that's a perfect example of the meaning that this society uh has you're to talking the about the reagan era well it's more we... than that because you know those movies weren't designed with the reagan era in mind they're a product of the time and so when you think of white christian america like that's what they think they are fighting for is the idea of the john hughes high school where people can go and be awful to each other and you know that's their concept of free speech well that goes back it goes back to the 50s it's when the baby boomers grew up in this like post-world war ii like um yeah when idyllic white america on the surface well i feel like a lot of baby boomers right i mean yeah it was segregation (laughs) was uh, nuclear war segregation uh never-ending global conflict this idea of like the past the cold war the great you know 50s era when people say that they mean something like the reagan 80s Mm. they don't actually mean the 50s well and that's what and then and so trump's (laughs) whole like make america great again thing is like that's a Reagan slogan from the 80s, you know. We'll restore hope and we'll welcome them into a great national crusade to make America great again. Yeah, make America great again was a Reagan slogan from the 80s. This wow. is just the 1980s, like, political <laughs> nonsense. You know, unfortunately, the thing about the Trump presidency is that I they got, didn't actually have a political backing to do anything. It was just his takeover. Right, and just his, it was just a bunch of big fucking ego. Ego. Yeah. Like media. And, 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 and media. I and manipulating to... racism in America. Like, so, okay, <laughs> so political. Let, let, let's talk about the concept of reality tunnels. This is a, an idea coined by Robert Anton Wilson, uh, one of my favorite authors. Um, got started in the late 60s, early 70s. He wrote the Illuminatus trilogy, Prometheus Rising, Cosmic Trigger, um, was friends with Timothy Leary and Alan Watts, one of the big proponents of Discordianism. He has this line, uh, he said something like, reality is the line where rival gangs of shamans fought each other to a standstill. And he talks about this concept of reality tunnels that I am locked into my own little reality tunnel and you're locked into your own little reality tunnel. We only look for things that reinforce that reality tunnel that we're locked into this worldview. That's a postmodern it, viewpoint. But yeah, yeah, you're right. We, we've talked about, uh, you know, Winston and I talked in the last episode a little bit about the nature of media um, and especially social media is this echo chamber you know you're only friends with people who think like you and you only see the the hashtags that you follow the things that you care about and so all of these things reinforce your worldview and you don't get anything outside of that and so what trump has done is basically use that to the extreme to create this cult of personality around him where his followers literally believe everything he says as fact and Everything else is fake news to them. That's shrinking, by the way. What do you mean? 
Oh, his they, fan base. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is the cat's out of the bag. I mean, that that was a. I mean, that's, I, that's a. I yeah, hope it's so, valid, but, valid years ago. But but but, it, but he's, but, he's but, statistically impossible for him to win. Well, right uh, I'm worried about it because the, this idea of Trumpism that he has just emboldened that fringe of the Republican Party, and you have you have all these uh, these QAnon people. You know, QAnon is this extreme right wing conspiracy that basically this uh, quote deep state uh, sort of behind the scenes shadow government Illuminati is controlling everything and that Trump is like the only one who can stand up to their, it. Their platform is they know that they don't know what they know right. and that they know that they know it. Right. And, and, it, and just, it's just, it's just this, this absolute rabbit hole of just delusion and outright lies and manipulation to like reinforce their idea that uh trump is this like magical hero savior of the white race and it's like it's it's not that way anymore the the riots uh disprove that in the eyes of those people yeah the protests in the in the subsequent well i i don't know though because i still see this shit on facebook i was i was I was on somebody's yeah, but page you're in the other day in this... chamber too, you know. Everyone's... I know, I know. Just like Walmart but I... brand intelligence, they they really don't. They get tabloid level, like they just get tabloid fodder, and then they think that they're getting like information from anonymous. Well, Trump is this lowest common denominator sort of. He he is like American capitalist excess personified. I, I joked when. Uh, Trump got elected that, you know, everybody's uh, racist Republican uncle who called Obama the Antichrist for the past eight years just went out and voted for the literal Antichrist. Because Trump is this extremely divisive figure who, we you know, we've talked about the, the concept of the archons, uh, that these are the, the forces that are trying to crush humanity down and feed off of our negative energy. I think if anyone is their agent in the world today, their avatar... Didn't it's Trump. Trump feeds off of negative energy. Witches have tried to hex Trump, and I'm like, guys, it's not going to do anything. So, so he does, feeds so off the of that. He party. sucks it up. Didn't every, they all, every, all the the establishment does that on both accounts. Well, yes, and Didn't, that's the yes. real problem. Here. I, I mean, I the Democrats like, are fucked too, but it's like the the left still needs to organize, and we we won't get too into the the political stuff. I want to stick to the occult, but. The, the left needs to organize the way the that the, the right does because the uh, I just see the, the left, we fight amongst ourselves so much and over sort of relatively petty things wh- where the right is like, oh, I think a lot of conservative Christians didn't like Trump um, because of all his scandals and all the crazy shit he says and the fact that he's openly racist. You know, some of those people were like, yeah not a huge fan but he's still gonna uh make sure that you know we defund planned parenthood and stop abortion it's a, you know they these these are people who vote they're like one or two issue voters they care about like guns and uh stopping abortion and uh putting christianity back in our schools and so you know these are but you see that on the left too i swear like it it's it's unfortunate that um both sides are sort of like being manipulated and lied to by the people in charge. It's it's frustrating. really the influence of media giving people uh, views of the political landscape in episodes, mm. so that we go ahead and have episodes of outrage rather than just having a general movement. We're focused around individual issues because. That's how we're fed our information. Well, and it's 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 a moral battleground, right? Like the, like we on the left will be like, oh, the right is so you know obviously racist, obviously sexist, obviously homophobic in the messaging, and on the right they'll look over at us and be like, well, these people are literally murdering babies because that's what they think abortion is. They they literally believe I'd, that. I'd like to I'd like to make a point that on both sides of any issue only a handful of people make any decisions on what the messaging is mm. and so people uh, more often than not in this country characterize an entire political movement from a marketing decision made by a handful of people who control all the money going into these political parties and all the messaging so, so it's super important to recognize that if we're going to break people out of this trance that we're in 
and recognize that both sides are corrupt and that they're using people's emotions, socio-political economic status, their race most importantly is a way to create division among the working people of this country. Right. That that ultimately the only thing truly dividing people is class. That's like sort of the the Marxist ideology is that you know the while the the two major political parties are distracting us with these sort of culture war issues again of like race and gender and identity um that the real battle is the the wealthy one percent are controlling us and dividing us in this way Um, well that's that's fair to say but as a friendly reminder um it's you know that perspective is is racist in today's you know world the the idea that class is the primary divisor of our problems in America. Right. Is I'm not. I'm not saying. Race. I'm not saying. I that. know, but I think that that in and of itself. But is, I think it's ultimately important. true because I mean, racism and capitalism go hand in hand in this country. I, I agree. Um. You know. I, I mean, this country was built on slavery, and yeah, and and the extermination of Native Americans, and and well, we, up until 1865, and then they enslaved people in textile mills and farms and in prisons in prisons in, i mean prison the, the whole prison industry the came out of slavery yeah slavery continued in many different forms and it's important to remind people that it never ended mm-hmm. and that we and that the confederacy didn't lose the war and that slavery never ended it took a different form in the in jim crow south right as well as uh anti-union uh industry that employed children Right. You know, this is the well, America and, of a hundred years ago. And so, so what we're <laughs> what we're seeing now with the protests and everything is, uh, like, white America is having to reckon with that, with with what Black America has known for that whole time that uh, things changed, but not that much changed. You know, and and now like mainstream white America is having to grapple with that, and it and it's and it's great because finally, you know, things are happening. But I feel like so far it's been mostly symbolic. It's been mostly taking down statues and flags and reminders of that rather than actually addressing the roots of the problems. So we're talking about reality tunnels and the idea that Trump has gotten all of his followers locked into this very extreme uh, worldview that has nothing to do with objective reality at all. It's just whatever he says goes. So I want to talk about the concept of the Illuminati. I think the Illuminati was a short-lived society of free thinkers and democratic reformers that formed a secret society within Freemasonry, uh, using Freemasonry as a cover so they could plot to overthrow all the kings in Europe and the Pope. And I'm very happy that they succeeded in overthrowing all the kings. I wish they had completed the job and got rid of the royal family in England too, but they did pretty well on the continent. And I'm sorry they haven't finished off the Pope yet, but I think they're still working on the project. The original Bavarian Illuminati was founded in 1776 by Adam Weishaupt. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, To oppose the monarchies. Right. Again, the year that the American Revolution happened, there was all this sort of Enlightenment era ideals of a secret tradition. Again, they were sort of an offshoot of masonry. But they were expressly political. Like, the Illuminati was... The the historical Illuminati, from what we know, was basically trying to work within the political structure of the day to influence their ideas of spiritual illumination. But the... um, It was to create a new Rome. Right. And so this idea of the New World Order was that they were trying to basically exploit the political system to get their occult ideas into the mainstream and basically use it to they they allegedly they were trying to create a better world but they were doing it through this sort of secret society and so that's where we get all these conspiracy theories that um that they didn't actually disband when they supposedly disbanded and that they continued in some way some sort of tradition has been passed down through generations um some people trace the origins of the illuminati back all the way to the beginnings of human history and say that there has always been this group behind the scenes of political elites who have 
occult esoteric knowledge and are using it to influence society you know from from this sort of secret group behind the scenes uh pulling all the strings and everybody on both sides of the political spectrum has pointed the finger across the aisle and been like these people did it you know the far right looks at the far left and says that's the illuminati the far left looks at the far right and says that's the illuminati the the far stretched conclusion could be drawn that these are just smart people who congregate around the same metaphysic and then have a sort of occult politic right. that well, then determines world affairs. I think there's and a grain of truth to it. Well, they attribute their 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 hidden society to their power, but it might not be a direct result of their power. It might just be a hidden society. But it, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy in the idea that, like, yes, the people who uh, have ruled the world over the years have understood certain truths of the universe and have exploited them. For their own personal gain you know like there's uh, no there's really no greater example than the english language how they first codified english into what we speak today the modern english language and the mission was to uh put the language together in such a way that um <laughs> the gematria cipher when you were to break the uh the alphabet down into a one b two c three so on and mm-hmm. so forth uh, the goal was for that gematria cipher to mirror that of the uh, ancient Hebrew cipher. Mm. Uh, so you're able to type one word in, in Hebrew into the cipher, and then you would get the same number combination that corresponds to the English number combination. It won't be the exact same number because it's two different languages, mm-hmm. but it will be consistent between the two okay consistently so so gematria again is this idea in kabbalah uh which comes out of ancient jewish mysticism this idea that uh each letter of the hebrew alphabet corresponds with a number and that by examining the relationships between those numbers you can find deeper occult truths uh for example um the the word for father plus the word for mother equals the the number for child um in in hebrew right right in hebrew and And so so you're saying that in english uh this also applies um and while the correspondences might not necessarily be the same the underlying fundamental idea is still there it should be consistent and Mm -hmm. so you would get a number in English that corresponds with the number in Hebrew Mm -hmm. in that it would be consistent in terms of its meaning. Yeah, I've looked into Gematria a little bit. It's fascinating. It is. It's sort of, uh, I I feel like it's a bit of a rabbit hole in that um, if you start looking for patterns, you'll find them, uh, and that can drive you a little crazy. It's like, have you seen the movie Pi? Um, yes, that's, that's Darren Aronofsky. That, yeah, that's yeah, kind of what this is that's about. sort of the whole idea, right? It's this um, Darren Aronofsky. It's one of his early movies. He, yeah. um, man, I've been I saw that in high school. Yeah, great, was... <laughs> great movie. Uh, this mathematician starts. Um, he's approached by like people from the stock market trying to manipulate it, and uh, from this Jewish Kabbalah group uh, that are trying to find the true name of God and he realizes that they're both looking for this same number this 216 digit number um, and yeah it's like the universal constant kind of thing right well, it's like the, the the golden ratio you can see this number reflected in nature everywhere but his his teacher basically tells him if you go too far down that path you're gonna drive yourself fucking mad because you're gonna start seeing that 216 digit sequence everywhere and i i I do think this is a caution for somebody getting into the occult is don't fall into superstition and um don't let yourself get tricked and manipulated you have to keep your wits about you i do think you have to keep a healthy level of skepticism when getting into this stuff and have sort of a, a, a spiritual agnosticism where you're constantly questioning everything no one can predict the future no one can right. accurately characterize these concepts. And so gematria in its English and Hebrew form uh, is best seen in our modern society in brand names, uh, as well as sigils and brand logo designs. Right. We talked and, about this on the last episode. Yeah. That advertising and, is occult uh, yeah. weaponry in and a sense. Advertising is a lot like occult blackmail. 
Yeah. In that exactly. you are going to say, we know something about you, mm-hmm. first of all. Well, it's, it's about the <laughs> we power know who of words you are. because... They do know uh, who we are now. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> we know well, yeah. everything about you. <laughs> they have a we profile. know who you are. We know where you are. We got your data. We got you by the balls. Right. Now, uh, are you scared? <laughs> if you're scared, we got a solution. Here you go. Buy, buy this. It's scary. It's... um. These techniques are used to manipulate people. So well, looking, it's, it's, looking again, you think that's at the, not used at high levels of politics too? Well, that's what well, I was saying. Is well, the, yeah, it's the words. Looking at um, so a lot of the Illuminati conspiracy theories come from the Masonic imagery in like that the founding fathers used in American tradition, and we we see the the eye in the pyramid on the back of the one dollar bill. We see you look at Washington D.C. the way that the city is laid out, and there's all these sort of uh, Masonic correspondences. You know, we're getting into national treasure or, or Nick Cage territory here. But. Atlanta, where where we are, I don't know where you're listening, but yeah, Atlanta is a Masonic city. It's laid out in a Masonic fashion. It's well, one of the things I love about Decatur, it's the the Mason building is right in the center. And so, so Masonry, just real briefly, you know, everybody's probably vaguely familiar with the idea of Freemasonry, but this is uh, sort of a secret. A society it's a, a magical fraternity it wasn't that secret at the end of the day but right that well now now i mean now you can go online and look up masonic rituals and stuff but but again it's this idea of a of initiation that you join this group and you are um ritualistically initiated to higher levels of occult knowledge in mm-hmm. some way and they weren't even you know the masons, the masons the aren't even that specifically occult in a lot of what they do it's more of like a it's again the, it's it's in the tradition of the hermetic philosophy right and the significance of words and letters and in, in, in relation to the ancient hebrew practices of like you know kabbalah occult magic mm-hmm. uh the use of numbers in uh design um like the path Pythagorean. Yeah, yeah, I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's all of the, that. The symbolism together. of the light mm-hmm. as, as being the source of creation and like the manifest world. Yeah, and it's all of that wrapped into sort of a uh, a Western, a never ending spin off of a of a Western version of it that dates back to the Bavarian Illuminati. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who, and again, uh, in so in the occult tradition um i'm not saying how accurate this is historically but many people trace that back to um like the knights templar Mm -hmm. um and their dealings with the hashishim who were like a esoteric um ismaili muslim sect um during the crusades and that supposedly the the templars and the hashishim had uh dealings and uh, communicated in some way and there was this cross-cultural exchange of the idea of uh, esoteric initiation in some way well the byzantine empire was vast and this was after the fall of the byzantines the when the crusades were yeah but the the byzantine empire itself generated a lot of the precursors for western thought mm-hmm you know, we were in the Dark Ages, and they had civilized society while right, we were exactly. suffering from the plague. Well, well, that's the whole thing. Is is uh, in schools in America, we're just taught this sort of like very Western uh, imperialist history of the world, and you know, we don't learn about the fact that like most of medieval knowledge, uh, a lot of the like advances in mathematics and science and technology and the the concept of chemistry came out of alchemy which was this was all from uh islamic scholars they they were years ahead of europe at the time again europe was in the dark ages um but the the arabic empire was like flourishing at the time and well they were conquering europe exactly yeah like yeah it was a reconquista of spain that brought uh, the sciences and uh medici trade in northern italy and venice mm-hmm. that brought kind of the secrets of the old empire like back into intellectual uh the intellectual forefront um right. and that's what made this a very elitist uh craft to study because only the elites were able to get a hold of the manuscripts from that were saved only from... in the elites at the time could read usually. yeah that's yeah yeah 
Absolutely. You know, it was like the, the priests or like um, aristocrats or something. Can you imagine having to call up a friend who could read just so you could right. read something? You're yeah. like, I just got a letter, dude. Come yeah, over. Yeah. <laughs> I love how uh, this is kind of a sidetrack, but I love how um, all these like ancient uh, civilizations, you can see how people were really just the same as they are today. You find like customer complaint letters yeah. uh, written on stone tablets <laughs> and like... Uh, hexes against like your ex-lover or something <laughs> like i don't know it's just like <laughs> yeah people have never changed i'm yeah. of the opinion that uh we're as advanced today as we were two thousand years ago yeah ten thousand years ago we, we have better <laughs> technology but like humans ourselves have not changed a whole lot we don't even in really fact use we might have backtracked <laughs> i really think we're going backwards <laughs> well certain aspects of our survival instincts were really good back then that have atrophied and now we're we're kind of helpless in some respects you well know? yeah humans are pretty soft we have very well developed senses of art yeah we're we, delicate we understand creatures, we understand we aesthetics yeah we're the, i think i i really think that we're late stage romans right now you know the romans were pretty soft like you know they're all singing and making their art and their plays and had yeah. no like you know well i mean but that's that's all good we just uh i, I do think well, and that's one of the, I think that unfortunately is the root of some of the like culture wars between the right and the left today is that the far right are the one with all the guns and stuff. And they're the ones being like, not anymore. I, I love that the left is militarizing. It's it true. always irked me for a long time that the left was anti second amendment. But I think that, you know, I really, I'm really happy that people are coming around to see that we, you know speech can only be taken seriously when when you have an armed populace i'm a bit of an accelerationist which is is scary because it makes me feel like um the idea of the the boogaloo boys sort of like (laughs) far right uh extremists um who are like uh sort of accelerationists trying to bring about like uh, another civil war uh like an armed conflict uh, with the state and and even within that I feel like there's different ideologies because I've seen some of those people uh, standing with Black Lives Matter and, but a lot of them are racist and are like sort of um, just trying to provoke people see to you call know, them the, accelerationists what, is not necessarily it's a misnomer because they're regressive they're going backward right I would say that well I'm that, saying accelerationist in the sense that I'm worried that no matter what happens in November uh, there's going to be some shit's going to go down and people are going to die because uh, a lot of these QAnon brainwashed Trump people are going to, uh, like if Trump loses, for example, I feel like they're going to take to the streets and kill some people. I don't think you know, so. Shit's gonna I, pop I, I think what you'll probably see is a bunch of people brandishing arms, but right. I, I hope that <laughs> it's not going to turn so. into anything. But, they, but these, I, aren't, like, these aren't urban people, first of all. And second of all, they're too concerned with their property, their own property. Let me, to care let me go for ahead and say this very clearly the into the space. mic. Let me go ahead and say this clearly into the mic. Nobody is about to die for Donald Trump. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I worry. Yeah, no, well, I'm, people. You, you, a lot of people have already died because of Donald Trump. He, 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 no, he, no, I mean like for an, an insurrection. Him. For no, him. nobody's for about to stand for this guy. No, he's he's weak. He's weak in the eyes. The Republicans of the, will very easily right. abandon their position because it's a persona. Cults he, of personality are as easy as saying, "Oops, I was brainwashed for a few." few years like and so it's like you're saying it's like the nazis after world war ii it's exactly. like oh whoops we were just whoops. Uh, following orders whoopsies <laughs> more like it only took an international virus Let's to bring out. about the greatest like economic catastrophe since george w bush a right-wing conservative president they right. just gotta break <laughs> out that that white eggshell paint and just white eggshell everything mm. leave it for for a year or two when they go back and their politicians start to cover it up again. Dude, we're in pagan Rome right now. There's no have, fucking values. Have you There's ever no read um, God? I mean, what, whatever anyone wants to call it. There's no God. Have you ever read um, Philip K. Dick, Valus? No, no. Okay, you would you would love this. You're you're talking about how we're we're in the the late Roman Empire right now. It, <laughs> yeah. In, in Philip K. Dick's <laughs> book Valus, this is he, quite literally what he says. He t- he talks about um. So it's based on his personal experiences. The main character who is it was pretty literally him. 
um, has this like intense spiritual experience where he's blinded by this pink otherworldly light and he starts experiencing an overlap of our reality and another reality where the Roman Empire never ended. Um, and he ties it in with this sort of Gnostic idea of uh, overlapping worlds, that there's the perfect uh, world that uh, the true God created, and then there is this fallen world that the Demiurge created. The, again, a Gnostic idea of the Demiurge, like not the true creator, but the one that a lot of the world worships as the creator because they created this world. And that we exist in this overlap between a perfect world and an imperfect world. And that's why some things are good and some things are really shitty. Did, did Tiberius and Caligula successfully take over uh, the Roman dynasty in his version? Because I, <laughs> I, I could almost see that happening. Like, uh, but, the only time in the Roman Empire when you really had some truly evil people behind the throne. And well, I mean, I don't know. Tiberius, I think Tiberius was are evil. Yeah, a, no, a lot okay, of. So if I were to compare Donald Trump to any, see, I'm a I'm a would, communist. So no, no, any I, empire is. A... I, would, I would go ahead and say that. I would go ahead and say that like Caesar was Caesar was not. He was incredibly cruel, but he was an exemplar of, you know certain Roman ideals. And well, then you of had, their ideals. You had truly time. wise emperors like Marcus Aurelius. And then you had... Right, a, a philosopher. ...fucking train wrecks like, like Tiberius. Oh, and Tiberius was the worst Roman emperor. Caligula had a hard time beating him at mm -hmm. being the worst Roman emperor. It's like if you took Randy Andy and made him the, the emperor of Rome. Well, so I think this ties in again with uh, talking about America and like the founding fathers, this hypocrisy, what, you, what you're talking about, um, like the, you know, this hypocrisy of people talking about these ideals of uh, freedom and liberation and owning slaves. And again, I feel, I feel like America is finally reckoning with that now and uh, you know, people are like, oh, you're tearing down statues of Christopher Columbus. Why not tear down George Washington, too? And it's like, well, yes, <laughs> we need to recognize that, like, uh, these people were hypocrites. Maybe they were a little more enlightened than some of the other, like, white uh, intellectual elites at the time. But they still were total hypocrites for not practicing what they preached. No, they, these, were, these were Freemason cults. These were competing Freemason cults in the North and the South that split. So again, the idea that uh, behind the scenes, the, the Masons uh, were not necessarily trying to illuminate everyone. They were just trying to uh, help sort of their people, Always. people who were initiated. It yeah, seems the, to there were no, the, no Freemason was ever an abolitionist. I tell you, I'll tell you that. Mm. If you're going to take a dig at George Washington, you might as well take a dig at the flag and everything else. Right. Exactly. America, <laughs> America's always been like this. I feel like, again, against going against Trump's messaging, I feel like America is great in certain ways because we are this multicultural melting pot. Um, that's what we were taught in elementary school is America's a melting pot. And it's like that... That we're melting, though, right? That's, right. That's, we're that's, definitely, that, I'm melting! That, that diversity no, is what makes America great. It's just we also have to recognize that that came out of slavery and genocide and yeah, that's, exploitation. That's an outdated uh, uh, term for mm -hmm. the American uh, phenomenon. Uh, what we were taught in school was what uh, Jimmy Carter said. America's mm -hmm. this mosaic. Mm -hmm. The idea of a colorblind melting pot is that you throw everyone into it. Right. And they get churned out like, you know, ground beef. <laughs> anyway, so I think the mosaic is a more accurate portrayal, and that actually is in line with the recent... You know, I think Jimmy Carter was a good president. We don't have yeah, to get into Jimmy, Jimmy Carter Jimmy was Carter's a, a good G. president. Yeah, he's, yeah. You know, we had Georgia a few. represent. We had yeah, a few. Georgia, we're not all a bunch of... You know, my, my uncle... <laughs> my He's not my real uncle, but my, my dad's best friend growing up was the... He was like the Anthony Fauci to Jimmy Carter. This guy, Jack Bartlett. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, he was the health advisor for epidemiology to the CDC. And Back when they let you smoke cigarettes in hospitals, right? <laughs> yeah, probably, I guess so. But, uh, you know, this guy, this guy, I always knew him as the crazy uncle who'd show up with cigars and pot and, like, everything. Yeah, he was a health you know, advisor to the <laughs> health president. Health advisor to the president. This dude used oh, to give yeah, my dad brother. pot. Like, it was just the funniest thing ever. 
Um, <laughs> he was also the, the guy who made sure that during the pandemic I had my supply of N95s. Nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. You know, already had everything stashed away. <laughs> you, so. you speak as if it's in the past. No, 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 no. He, back, he really... back when coronavirus was going. I know. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> no, it's, no, we're, it's we're screwed. Actually, we're screwed. Yeah. Oh yeah, still we a thing. Are. If if I really the end of the needed help, humanity. I would go to him <laughs> because he probably has like remdesivir stashed away somewhere. Mm. First of all, can we do a little topical discussion on coronavirus real quick? Yeah, because I think it. it would be great to just talk about the the incredible psychological impact that this has had on people. Um, you know, we've been speaking a lot about that which is hidden what about everybody's faces now you know right uh let's talk about covid in the sort of mythical sense uh you know a lot of people i think nowadays are feel like we're in end times again going back to like uh christian tradition the the sort of the abrahamic religions all feel like we're gearing up for apocalypse and like this is some book of revelation shit nobody can agree on the details but um even people who aren't into that stuff are, again, drawing parallels between Trump and the Antichrist. People who are into that stuff, my, my uh, you know, crazy uh, evangelical Republican uncle on Facebook is comparing the, the COVID masks to the Mark of the Beast, saying like, oh, you can't buy or sell without the wearing the mask. It's like the same shit, you know, at some point they're going to be branding it, you know, just a crazy shit but it's like everybody feels like we're in these end times that there's the, the plague going on that the world is heating up and uh you know humans are closer to self-annihilation than we've ever been in some way no the 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 christian end times the prophesies end times that you know the battle in syria and you know the right. end of christendom that's all roman mm-hmm. that's a that's a roman parable of you know the end of the eastern roman empire which outlasted the western I've, roman empire i've heard empire. that that the the book of revelations was more talking about like historical it was like a historical allegory more than like a prophecy than we think of it yeah it's it's generally regarded as like you know contemporary fiction mm-hmm. by uh protestant but there is this overarching idea in a lot of world mythologies of the end times and that this is you know a a dark time uh of plague and lies and manipulation and control and that people don't people have lost their their spiritual sense of self and oneness and um i feel like a lot of people definitely feel that way nowadays that we we feel even though we're more connected by technology we feel less connected to the earth and to each other and i think uh covid is really like speeding that up in a way because now the only way a lot of people have been communicating with each other is through the internet and we, yet there we are can't opportunities go out and have these... there are opportunities for us to do the very opposite what do you mean? Well, a lot of people have been laid off from their jobs and they're now on unemployment and are free to go hiking. Right, which is great. Not for long. <laughs> which is, right, right. It's it's you know, we're it's like they they give us this little taste of like, oh, wouldn't it be great if uh, we sent everybody little, a couple grand every month? Little American <laughs> utopia. I mean, <laughs> Andrew be, Yang was a little ahead of the curve giving everybody $1,000 a month. Exactly. Yeah. No, that I, would I have think been kind of I great. think it, it, I've been really enjoying this time um, because I've been able to work on projects that I care about. I started a podcast. <laughs> you know, we started this. I've been recording a lot of music and doing things that I otherwise I never had time for because I couldn't stay up till five in the morning every night working on stuff. Um, <laughs> There's this Japanese term for what is it? Staying up late as an act of revenge against against society. Oh yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's so like you don't get your freedom of autonomy during the day, so you just exact your toll on yourself. Exactly. <laughs> So I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. Um, I just wanted to thank Andrew again for joining us today. It's been great to have you on the show, man. Yeah, thanks. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I'm look- I'm looking forward to being back. I don't have many opportunities to talk about these sorts of things, and it's great to chat with like-minded people and help uh, spread the message across the Internet. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, man. 
Uh, thanks again for tuning into That Which Is Hidden. We'll be back. <laughs>